Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Okay, we've been talking about don't let the spiritual Grinches steal your joy. And although I've never seen the movie, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, I do know the heart of it. I've read the Cliff Notes version. And uh, I know that there are enemies of the Lord and of the joy of the Lord. The enemy really wants to steal your joy. And last week we began to talk about a couple of those spiritual Grinches <clears throat> that really seem to rise up this time of year. Have you ever noticed that this time of year you see a whole lot more uh, hatred manifested, murders, crime of all kind, and that's not new. You do know when Herod got the news that a Savior was born, a king of all kings, that he initiated an agenda to kill, to kill the king. And in the, in the operation of that agenda, murdered myriads of Jewish males under two years old. It's right there in the New Testament. It shouldn't surprise us. There is... Always an agenda at a time when the birth of Jesus is celebrated that the enemy rises up and seems to have new agendas to bring about death, destruction, and theft. Steal, kill, and destroy. So it shouldn't surprise us. And last week, we talked about two of the spiritual Grinches that would steal your joy. We define joy. Joy is not enjoyment. Enjoyment is an emotional response to an interest that you have. And enjoyment is very short-lived. It comes and goes with the circumstances. You can enjoy the outcome of an athletic contest. And then a few days later, all that enjoyment is gone. You, there are things, meals, there, there are times and, and, and um, activities that you can enjoy, but when they're gone, they're gone. Joy is a permanent gift that God gives His children through the Holy Spirit's indwelling of their life when they've made Jesus Lord. Galatians 5.22 tells us that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It doesn't originate from out there, it comes from in here. Joy is a spiritual force, not a temporary pleasure. And we need to understand that the joy, the last week we talked about how joy uh, is your strength, really. The joy of the Lord is something that is connected in your spirit. And it's not some giddy, yay, yay. 
It is the presence of God and the promise on the inside by the presence of God that He's got this and He will get you through this. There's joy there. Nehemiah wrote in Nehemiah 8.10, The joy of the Lord is my strength. So if you lose connection with your joy, you will lose connection with your strength. So it's a serious deal. The joy of the Lord is from the presence of the Lord and the celebration of that presence and the yielding to the Lordship of that. Hebrews 12, 2 says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. There's a power in joy that is focused on God that can get you through the cross or anything else you have to go through. The joy of the Lord is a source of strength. That joy energizes our will to go on and go through. <clears throat> I told you the, the beautiful promise of James 1-2 is um, consider it all joy when you encounter various tests, trials, and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith develops endurance. But let endurance, see, joy will bring about the spiritual fruit of endurance. Many years ago, someone said to Dina, as I told you in closing last week, sure she was smiling on an occasion a good while after Bryant passed, and someone said to her, oh, I'm so happy you got your joy back. And her response is, I never lost my joy, or I would have never gotten through what I have to get through. And joy of the Lord is a source of strength. It's not enjoyment. It is a spiritual force. So last time we talked about a couple of those Grinches being one being personal condemnation. There is a voice on the inside of you. And sometimes the enemy is all too glad to get cooperating agents called human beings to cooperate with condemnation. That is, the accusation, look, Revelation 12.10, the devil is an accuser of the brethren. He's not an accuser of all of those who hate the Lord. He's not an accuser of the enemies of the Lord. He's an accuser of the brethren. So one of, the, one of the things the enemy does to you is constantly give you instant replays of how you failed. He is a forecaster of disaster. That is, on the inside of you, in your own flesh that is not submitted to the Lord, in your own flesh and by external spirits of darkness, there will be condemnation telling you you're never enough you, you should, look, you shoulda, woulda, coulda, you could have stopped all this and you never did it. And there are myriads of reasons why the enemy will accuse you and try to get you to buy into condemnation. You're too old, you'll never have your dreams realized, you're not going to ever be loved, you will never be, you, you're not worthy to, to be loved, you're not worthy of this, you're not worthy of that. How many of you know that's a lie from hell? 
Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God will never condemn you. Whatever condemnation you're hearing on the inside did not come from God. So if it didn't come from God, why would you want it? Why would you allow it to be repeated? At some point, you've got to quit playing the tape. You've got to cut that off and say, I'm not listening to that. And how do you do that, Pastor? You talk back to that inner voice and say, "My word, the Word of God says that I am not condemned, that God says about me, Ephesians 1, 3 through 7, in, I am in Christ and therefore I'm holy and righteous and blameless and loved and accepted and forgiven in Christ Jesus. In fact, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So enemy, devil, if you want to start that nonsense, I'm going to tell you what the truth is. What I found is the more that I tell the enemy the truth, the more he keeps his mouth shut. And if you don't speak up and tell the enemy the truth, then all the enemy will do will take more and more opportunity to condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We talked about that at length last time. The other Grinch that we found, especially this time of year, is our culture, the culture that we're, we're in. And, uh, you know, that culture can put a lot of pressure on you and steal your joy at this season of the year. That culture will make you feel guilty if you don't give this, give that, give the other. There'll be a whole lot of guilt and a lot of times you'll find yourself trying to just get rid of the gift, the guilt by giving a gift. At some point, it might be wise for you to do what we had to do many, many years ago, and that is just stand up and say, you know what, we're not in a season right now where we're going to do what we've always done. I hope you understand. Just know how much we love you and value you, and uh, this season, let's focus on the real reason we're, that we're, we're having this season. Amen. And you know what? That's okay. Those who love you are not going to change their feelings about it. If somebody loves you because of what you've given to them anyway, you don't have much of a friendship. You don't have much. I don't know if I can do that, Pastor. Well, you probably uh, can't with that attitude, but I will tell you this, that the culture will, will steal your joy. And besides that, the culture's cruel. Have you noticed this time of year with certain... Um, music, you go into a store or a restaurant or you turn on your TV set or anything else, there is this emotional um, music, and a lot of it's beautiful and good, but if you're in pain already, that pain will rise to the surface because all it does is remind you of the absence of something dear to you. So the culture can be a theft of your joy. So make sure you're reinforced every day by the real source of joy. And that's the joy of the Lord on the inside of you, His presence. The Word says, in thy presence there is fullness of joy. So maybe we should practice that through prayer and through the, 
through the listening to uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and, and getting together with other believers, as many of you have done this day. Our culture can put expectations on us that are not good. And then the third uh, Grinch that we get to now is conflict and contention. I told you last week a little uh, preview of this. Conflict and contention are not the same thing. You can have conflict without being in a state of contention. Conflict, conflict is more of an activity and contention is more of a state of operation. So let's get a definition here. I've got it for you on your outline. Conflict is the collision of differing views, desires, agendas, motives that can produce strong disagreement. Disagreement in and of itself is not sin. If you look at the culture today, you see that there's a lot of hate being spewed toward people who disagree with, uh, with others. And no wonder things get locked down in a state of no action. Conflict is inevitable. But it's not immovable. Three of you got that. You can still make progress through conflict if you have the right heart attitude. Contention, on the other hand, is an ongoing stirring of strife. Best way I can describe internal strife is it's a disturbing of the peace on the inside. Your, your peace is disturbed. There's just, you just can't be at rest. And then it seems like every attempt at relationship is met with, with just strife, um, disagreement that is so strong that distance is created in a relationship. You can have conflict without distance, and we'll talk about that as we go along. Distance in relationships is what the enemy wants to happen. Now, opportunities for contention, that state of being stirred up all the time and in a state of, of um, anger, rejection, distance, opportunities for contention can and will arise out of unresolved conflict. But you know, Sometimes you can still disagree with somebody, but agree to disagree. That is really inaccurate what you heard that term. Well, we just have to agree to disagree on that. Do you know what? If I were to poll everybody in here and everybody in this, in, uh, in this ministry about a whole bunch of things, what do you think is... What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this other? That's one reason you don't ever have me, hear me do that. 
I'm a young 75. You know what I mean? <laughs> I learned better than that. <laughs> but you know what? The difference is there's not a thing in this world. I don't care what your political stance. I don't care what team you pull for. I don't care whatever. I'm going to love you in Jesus with all my heart. There ain't nothing on the exterior that's going to change that. Nothing. Would to God that the whole body of Christ would come to that place of unconditional love that's not based on all these external things that don't make a hill of being different. Well, I don't know, Pastor. You, you just not a lifelong Republican or Democrat. No, I'm a kingdom independent. I am for the agenda of the kingdom of God. And if it lines up with the kingdom and God's principles of kingdom life, I'm for it. If it doesn't, I'm not. unresolved conflicts. And I know some of you are thinking, well, how in the world could you not be the way I see it? Well, you just need to get over it. All right. Here are some questions that we should all ask ourselves when we're in a time of disagreement. Is my disagreement, is my issue a principle, a conviction, or is it a preference? Am I getting into disagreements that can cause, unresolved can cause conflict, which unresolved can cause contention? Is that something that I have a conviction about, or is it just my personal preference, and I'm taking offense because you don't go with what I want? My agenda. There's a big difference there. So, when I am in this place of disagreement, ask myself this question. What's my underlying agenda here? Is this just because, I, 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 am I uncomfortable or am I disturbed about that because it's not my preference that you're choosing? Or do I have a principle that I can say to God, you know what, I believe this arises from the truth on the inside. Well, which is it? Number two, have I forgiven my offender even before they ask me for it? Wait, you can't forgive somebody that doesn't ask for it. Jesus did. Are you a follower of Jesus or not? Do you not understand that if you will forgive somebody before they ask for it, that's going to be to your benefit? And you know what you also do? When you forgive somebody before they ask for it, it gives the Lord the, uh, the, the absolute freedom to deal with them in a way that whatever it takes. Now I want to tell you something pretty flat and in your face right now, but 
That's one reason that you love me and you keep coming is because you know I'm going to tell you the truth. And, 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 and that is, <clears throat> this is not easy. To forgive somebody that has really hurt you, that has not asked for forgiveness, this is not easy. You're going to have to deal with this. This will wrestle you to the ground. Yeah, it will. Because everything in your emotions will want to protect and scream because you're hurting. But you've got to make up your mind that if you're going to really follow Jesus, that you're willing to submit and to give up your right to, to stay hurt and to always feel like it and to, cause, and to get your offender to ask you to forgive. And you're going to have to give up that right and go to Jesus and say, thank you that you have forgiven me perfectly and totally. And I hereby in your name release and call their name. And I ask you to give me the grace to continue to walk in that forgiveness. Here's what I know about hurt. It will play the instant replay as long as you let it. And you can, you can feel it even though it happened 10 years ago. You can still feel it 10 years later. Hurt is not sin. It's what you do with it. In fact, hurt is inevitable. How many of you know if you hurt and you're walking with the Lord, you have a wonderful opportunity because the Lord says that not only does He want us to know the power of His resurrection, He wants us to know the fellowship of His suffering. And He didn't suffer for anything that He was guilty of. He suffered because of others' violation that He bore. So, is this a principle or a preference? Have I forgiven? Are you making excuses right now when you hear this? I'm only telling you stuff that I've gone through myself. Am I holding on to anger? In your outline, I, I put that wrong. That should be Ephesians 4.30. I want you to turn there with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Do we have it on the screen? Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 4, and let's begin here um, with verse 29, 25. Put away lying. Let each one of you speak with his neighbor, speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Just go ahead and tell the truth. Be angry and do not sin. Uh-oh. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. There's some things that it's okay to be angry about. But even things that are okay to be angry about have a time limit. You don't go to bed with them. Hmm. So if you're watching your favorite news channel and you get angry, you better go before God and talk to Him about it before you try to go to sleep. Anger is not supposed to stay in your inner man. Even if it's for the right reason, if it stays there too long, 
you will grieve the Holy Spirit. Let him who stole steal no longer, but let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need, and let no corrupt word. That word corrupt in the Greek literally means rotten. You know what rotten means? It means it has no life in it. It's, it's, it's internally dead. Let no word that doesn't have any life in it proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, building up, that it may impart grace, God's favor and ability to those who hear. Do you know that your mouth is an instrument that you can use under the direction of the Spirit to impart God's favor and ability? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness, wrath, clamor, and malice all have to do with aged anger. Anger that just stays in there and wreaks havoc on relationships. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I was having a hard time with somebody who hurt me deeply. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Spirit of the Lord spoke the Word of God to me. Imagine that. And here's the verse that the Spirit quoted to me. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads one to repentance. And then the Spirit said, it is your kindness toward this person that I'm going to use to bring them to repentance. I can bring them to repentance. Can you operate in kindness? Can you quit insisting on them understanding your agenda? Can you stop trying to make them see how they have hurt you? And I will give you the grace to treat them with kindness. And if you will treat them with kindness... I will lead to repentance. By God's grace, not my response, by God's grace, when that response was brought into submission and obedience, God did just what He said He would do. How many of you know sometimes the difference, let me just put it like this, sometimes contention stays in relationships because we are unwilling to insist on people understanding how they've hurt us and what our agenda and what we want it to be. What about if all we cared about was, what do you want, Lord? What do you want? 
God, I am really, really hurt. Well, how do we address, look, hurt's real. Can I tell you something? Forgiveness and restoration from hurt are not the same thing. They go together. You're not going to get eventual restoration from hurt, a rebuilding, a renewing, without forgiveness. It's a foundation, but they're not the same thing. You can forgive instantly. Restoration usually takes time and track record and trust. Just because you forgive somebody for an offense doesn't mean that Everything can go back just like it was before the injury. That's deception. So how do I address this hurt, this hurt that I feel that somebody has inflicted on me? First and foremost, you've got to go before the Lord, forgive by faith. If you wait till you feel like it, you'll never get there. You can be hurt deep enough that if you wait till you feel like it, you're not going to get there. You know why? Because the instant replays, the, the re, instant replays on the screen of your heart all the time, and you're just not going to get there by feeling. But by faith, you can say, "Lord, I see that one of the requirements." of knowing you and walking with you and actually embracing your forgiveness for myself. See Mark eleven twenty five. if you refuse to forgive, you can't connect with your forgiveness. Say, I see there uh, what the requirement is. It's non-negotiable. And so by faith, because I love you, Lord. You don't wait till you feel love toward the person who's offended you. You don't wait till they get it. This has to be a, a transaction between you and the Lord. So I come before you, Lord, and I thank you that your word says that you've forgiven me of all my sin. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Has God forgiven you? So how could I receive that forgiveness and deny it to somebody who has offended me. So forgive by faith between you and God. What I did years ago is I made a list of all those that had caused me some pain and I went before Jesus with that list and I said not because I want to or feel like it but because I, want, I love you and I want to follow you and you've told me this is a requirement. So by faith right now, Lord, I forgive them. I release them over to you. It's amazing. Can I tell you something? I got out of prison. I got out of prison. And they didn't know a thing. This is between me and the Lord. It's wonderful to be out of internal prison. 
And anger and resentment will keep you there. Forgive by faith is an act of obedience. The Lord will give you the spiritual, He will give you the grace to forgive. And you don't have to feel a thing. It's not dependent on feeling. It's dependent on an act of obedience. Number two, in addressing hurt, withdraw from strife. Strife is poison. Here's a a passage here in um, Proverbs that is pretty powerful. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no tailbearer, that literally in Hebrew means somebody whispering contention. Where there is no stirring of contention, strife ceases. Do you know that the enemy shouts loud with whispered lies? And one of the things we're required to do is to quit putting wood on the fire of contention. If you want to get this poison out, if you want to have freedom, stop putting wood on the fire. Stop continuing to talk about it with anybody that'll listen about how they hurt you and what. Stop stirring it up. It is a spiritual grinch that will steal your joy. Then in prayer, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, do what Matthew 5, 44 says, and that is bless those who come against you. Boy, now there is a big step right there. I've told the Lord before, you know, I'll forgive, but I don't know if I can pronounce a blessing on them the Lord says you want to be free or not (laughs) I got to tell you it is amazing and miraculous when you take those who have hurt you and you bring them before the Lord and you say Lord I bless them I ask you to bless them I ask you to bless their heart their body their finances their relationships their family I just ask you to bless them and that you would receive glory for it. It is amazing what the Lord will do for you when you do that for them. Amazing. See, the Lord always puts the agenda on us. Romans 12, 19 and 20 says, Don't forget vengeance is mine. See, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get hurt real bad, I just want to see somebody pay. What kind of pastor are you? No, I'm just saying that your emotions, you don't, you don't ever feel that way? You don't want people to have to pay for how they've hurt you? That is a natural response, but it's not a spiritual response. And so... Um, <laughs> Romans 12 is uh, uh, it's convicted me on more than one occasion. The Bible says, leave that into the Lord's hands. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Can I tell you something? 
If you go around hurting God's children and you won't repent, you will pay. You don't mess with his children like that and not repent. If you keep on hurting God's children and you won't repent, you'll pay. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like that. Some of you say, I don't know about that. You don't want people, you don't feel, when somebody hurts your child real bad, you don't feel like you sure wish they'd go ahead and pay about it. First thing we ought to do is ask for repentance for anybody. Amen. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Don't take vengeance in your own hands to try to make somebody pay. How many of you know, if you do that, it'll backfire on you? You'll just make a bigger mess. It's okay to be open and honest, and it's okay at the right time, in the right way, for the right reason, to say, look, this is how that made me feel, what you did. But you've got to wait for the right time in the right way for the right reason. And only the Lord can orchestrate that. You can't change somebody's heart. But it's okay to be open and honest about those things. Forgiveness is non-negotiable. But how many of you know, depending on how deep the hurt is and how the nature of the relationship is, it's not always possible or even immediately workable for something to be returned the way it was before the deep hurt. Now I want to show you something that you don't hear many sermons on. And I'm closing. I want you to go to Book of Acts with me. Um, how many of you would believe that the Lord would have a very, very special place in his heart for the Apostle Paul? <laughs> author of 11 or 12 books of the New Testament, mighty man of God. I mean, there's just no words that I can explain it to you. Well, he had a dear, dear friend and fellow minister named Barnabas. The Bible says Barnabas was a highly respected man, a man full of faith. He was full of the encouragement of the Lord. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was appointed as an apostle as well. And Paul and Barnabas were dynamite together. I mean, they were going all over the Roman Empire and seeing mighty things happen. Churches were being established, Dwayne. People were being saved. Paul and Barnabas were an incredible team. And Acts... 15, we have this amazing passage of Scripture. Um, verse 36, are you there? After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and let's visit all of our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord, and let's go see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John Mark, 
But Paul insisted that they should not take that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Uh-oh, verse 39. Then the contention became so sharp. What? The contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took John Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. How in the world could two godly apostles come to a point to where the disagreement among them was so strong they couldn't walk together anymore? It can and does happen. Wow. What I'm trying to tell you is there's some things that you can, you can lose if you just look at the surface of this. Well, Pastor, who was right? God didn't say. God didn't say. But let's read one more verse. Barnabas took Mark, sailed to Cyprus, verse 40. Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So Paul stayed under the covering of the church and the spiritual leadership of the church and got the endorsement of the spiritual leadership of the church. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. In fact, when you read on the very next chapter, they went into, uh, went into Philippi. People were started getting saved. They got put in prison. Paul and Silas sang at midnight. God sent an earthquake, shook up the whole place, brought Romans into the kingdom of God. I mean, God put it, kept his hand mightily on Paul, known Silas. And I'm sure the, the love of the Lord and the commendation of the Lord uh, was, was on Barnabas uh, as well. And you've ever, have you ever read um, the second book of the New Testament? Matthew, Mark. So even though Mark had made a mistake and in his immaturity had left Paul and Barnabas when they really needed him on a missionary journey, God's grace restored Mark and he began to mature in the Lord and God actually used him to write uh, and, uh, uh, one of the books of the New Testament. In fact, I'll show you this in closing. 2 Timothy Chapter 4, Paul's last few words. 
Not long after this, he was beheaded by Nero around 68 A.D. And on his last letter, Mark is writing to his beloved Timothy, his son in the Lord. And he says, be diligent, verse 9, chapter 4, to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is still with me, and listen to this, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Hallelujah. Restoration took place. Mark had to have some maturation. Paul had to show some grace. How many of you know the most mature always makes the most difficult step to show grace? And not only that, but now there wasn't one missionary team, there were two. God even chose, God used what these two couldn't get it together about, and God multiplied, doubled his team. Now there were two. Does God initiate conflict between brothers and sisters? No. How many of you know God is sovereign and He uses what He doesn't initiate? For His own glory. But I do want you to know this, that that was not immediately workable. And the former relationship that Paul and Barnabas had in working together in partnership far as we see in scripture didn't work didn't work anymore okay are you listening what I'm trying to tell you is forgiveness is non-negotiable showing grace and kindness and mercy and love but sometimes in a, there, is a, there, is, there are lines that cannot be crossed uh, of continuing to work together, live together, minister together. Sometimes there are such strong disagreements that you can't go back to the way things used to be. So what I'm trying to tell you, church, is forgiveness is a release over to the Lord, but forgiveness and restoration of the way it used to be are not the same thing. And I tried to just show you an example from Scripture of mature believers that that happens sometimes. We're all broken somewhere, right? It's the grace of God. 
through the love of Christ that is the game changer for all of us. Are we learning anything? Make a commitment to the Lord that you're going to walk in the ways of God, that you're going to trust the Lord Jesus to do in you and through you what you just can't find it in yourself to do. And He'll bless that. He'll use it. And I also want to say one other thing. There should be, a whole lot of people should be here to hear this, or, 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 or at least should hear it. Um, and, and that is, sometimes when believers are crosswise with one another, um, it's not weakness. It, it's not weakness to say, you know what, it looks like we're not probably going to get to a, a, an agreement on this, but you know, here is where I stand on this, and I don't think I can, I don't think I can move on this because it's truth to me. But I will tell you this, it will not affect my love and respect for you. God can give you the grace. God can give you the grace to continue to love and respect and pray for somebody that you can't continue to walk with. Forgiveness is non-negotiable. Continued partnership, relationship is not always forced to be restored, especially not immediately. Are we learning anything? Let's grow in the Lord and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Let's all stand. Hope to see you next week. Don't let anything steal the joy of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we, we love you. How we bless you and praise you. You are our King and our God. We submit, Lord, to you. And we ask that you receive glory and honor and praise. But we ask that you would remind us by your Spirit that the joy of the Lord is our divine birthright. And that we'll do anything and everything we're supposed to do to stay connected. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' mighty and holy name. And all the people said, Amen and Amen. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.